Uh, welcome to This Week in Moab. I'm Molly Marcello, News and Public Affairs Director here at the station. Tonight, we are speaking with Cora Phillips, the Prevention Coordinator at Sea Haven Family Crisis and Resource Center, Dr. Maria Blevins, Professor at Utah Valley University, and Abigail Taylor, the Executive Director of Sea Haven Family Crisis and Resource Center. Uh, Listeners, we're going to be delving into some difficult themes this next hour. We're going to be talking um, with our guests about stopping sexual violence in the outdoor recreation and tourism industry. Um, Before we get into how to stop sexual violence, we might want to understand how it shows up in in these communities. And this is something our guests have spent some time researching and looking into Um, Let's first get into some backgrounds. Dr. Blevins, let's start with you, and then we'll get into uh, the Sea Haven crew. So for several years, you've been working on a project examining sexism and sexual harassment issues in the whitewater rafting industry. You're also a founding member of the Anti-Discrimination and Sexual Harassment Collective, uh, which I've read is an organization uh, created to help organizations combat harassment in the river industry. What brings you to this work? Uh, Yeah. So before I was an academic, I was a whitewater rafting guide for 12 years. Uh, For five years, I was only a whitewater rafting guide. And then for the remainder of my career, it was while I was getting my master's degree and my PhD. So I had this sort of dual life of student in the fall and the winter, and then raft guide in the summer. And uh, I really loved being a raft guide. It's I look back on those days really joyfully. A lot of my closest friends um, are from that time in my life. Um, But in 2015, a group of women came together and wrote a letter to then Secretary of the Interior, Sally Jewell, and they outlined sort of years of sexual harassment and assault from the river rangers at Grand Canyon National Park. And um, it got a lot of people I know in the river industry starting to think and talk about, well, what are the norms that happen in river culture? And um, are, are there some, some issues that happen with them? So I'm embarrassed to say I was studying organizational communication and uh, studying gender at the same time of being a raft guide and not even sort of realizing um, that the, the culture sort of allowed a lot of I guess you could describe it as crass humor or um, there's, there's just a lack of boundaries. So when you're on a multi-day river trip, uh, finding privacy can be hard. Um, things like going to the bathroom are sort of can be public. Uh, a really great outfitter from the Grand Canyon um, says privacy is a thing that you give each other. It's not a thing that you just can have. And so as I spoke to my friends in the guiding industry, I got curious. I'm a qualitative researcher and I study organizational communication. And so I started interviewing raft guides about how they negotiated their gender in this industry. And um, I've interviewed about 60 participants from um, outfitters all over the U.S. and some that have guided internationally um, from single day trips to multi-day whitewater rafting trips. And um, the main research question I wondered is what are the strategies that people use to fit into these pretty masculine um, environments? And so I am finishing up a book on that topic and I've written a few research projects and I'm involved with ADASH and um, it's just been a real pleasure and honor to think about this really unique working culture that I think suffers the same challenges that 
most organizations do in negotiating gender. Uh, but um, with these unique set of situations that you live together, you work together. Uh, if a harassment issue happens from a fellow colleague or from a customer out on the river, where do you report that if you're out on a week long or two week long rafting trip? So um, it's also a really fun group of people. And so, and it's a group of people that um, take care of each other. And I think that as this issue has been brought to the forefront, this is a community that wants to make it's safe for everyone. Oh, that's such, so fascinating. Um, I, I have many follow-up questions there, but let's get to Cora and, and Abby too. Cora, specifically, you're the prevention coordinator at Sea Haven. And um, like I said at the top, I've noticed some interesting things coming from your department, namely through the release of a workforce sexual harassment survey um, to specifically gain insight to the working conditions in the Southeast Utah outdoor recreation and tourism industry. So here, um, first off, what brings you to this work? And um, this might be a question for Abby after, but why did Sea Caven um, sort of choose to start gathering data around this issue? Yes, uh, great question. Um, I have seen harassment in the different jobs that I've had over the years. And the more I shared my own stories, the more others shared theirs. And it wasn't just women and it was men as well. And just the high prevalence of the issue, I've always wanted to change it and make the workplace. So it wasn't something that you went to and it had these awful experiences that you take home at the end of the day. Um, and I've worked in some really awesome places, see Caitlin included, um, <laughs> that has made it different. And you don't have to put up with this harassment in the workplace every day. And I just have always wanted to bring that to other people. And when I saw the community prevention coordinator job posted, I was like, Ooh, that's for me. <laughs> um, how, what can I do? How can I get involved? And I'm very passionate about this project. So having the space to bring this work to the community is really cool to me. Amazing. Thank you, Cora. And um, can you or, or Abby, um, who's also with us, um, talk about why Sea Haven specifically chose to start gathering data around um, workplace sexual harassment in the outdoor rec sector? You know, we're primarily a service provider in our community, so providing advocacy services, emergency shelter, financial assistance, etc., to victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, we have seen a prevalence of sexual harassment and sexual violence in these communities, not not just people that that work. Um, as guides on the river, but just really people that work within the tourism industry. There are a lot of power um, dynamics that exist when you um, work in any business, period, any, any type of organization, but we also have this component of uh, tourism and, and needing to work to get tips and needing to make um, people feel good about the time that they're spending in order to make money. So um, we've just seen these issues with our clients, whether it be in the guiding community or hotel industry or restaurant industry. And we felt that this was a good place to start um, due to that prevalence of uh, uh, violence that is communicated to us on the, the service provision side of things. 
you you all have sort of touched on this already, you know, how um, workplace sexual harassment might show up in outdoor recreation and tourism. Um, what's so interesting, Dr. Blevins, like what you said earlier is that you were researching gender issues and you were on the river and that connection wasn't immediately made in your position until later. A lot of this, it's, it seems like cultural. Can you give me some examples of like how it shows up and what people can start to notice? Yeah. So I interestingly uh, study socialization and how new organizational members kind of become members of the organization. And I think that um, raft guiding is a really hard job, right? You uh, wake up early in the morning, uh, you on multi-day trips, you have no time alone from your customers and coworkers. You're cooking a full meal and then you're out there um, guiding and you're making decisions that impact safety. You're also being entertaining. You're using your body. You're tired. Um, for me, it's the most all-encompassing job that I have ever had. And so um, for people that want to be a raft guide, it's uh, a lot of work to sort of go through the training process and prove that you can be part of the gang. And so I think... Um, there's so many great parts of the job, like being on the river, uh, the really excellent coworkers, the the beauty of, of the job. You sort of learn how to do your job. You get socialized into how it works. And there is a large hierarchy, right, which is one of the work environments that a lot of sexual harassment can happen in. It's also a lot of young employees where it's sort of their first job maybe outside of high school or college. And so they might not know what is appropriate or what is not appropriate. And then I think where it gets murky is there's a lot of fun, right? It's um, a lot of attractive people and um, sometimes uh, romantic uh, gestures are welcomed. Sometimes they're not. Um, the joking uh, can be really fun. And as I interview people, you know, a lot of folks indicate that they really want to keep a hold of that um, playful and um, fun way that people interact. Uh, there is quite a bit of drugs and alcohol that are sort of socially accepted in, in that group. So I think um, the lines are not as clear as this is acceptable or this is not acceptable because you are you don't get to go home. There's not a sort of onstage, offstage life. It's all on stage. And so as you are going through this process of learning how to guide, um, you're also learning how you behave. And that's usually, um, you know, I have a lot of quotes of, you know, the people that can't handle the raunchy joking or the inappropriate comments, they just don't make it here. So I think it's just sort of part of being one of the gang, being one of the community. Anyone else want to add to that as far as how um, workplace sexual harassment might show up differently in the outdoor rec community than it does, you know, in an, in an office job, perhaps? I, not specifically that, but I, I wanted to add to that, to that um, reflection that sometimes things might not be as obvious as maybe they should be. Um, I mean, I, I would say that for myself, having, I've had to do a lot of reflection on like what it means to be a leader and what it means to be in a, per, a position of power and how my behavior might impact somebody else's ability to um, share that they're uncomfortable with whatever, right? And and how, um, you know, I'm a jokey person. I like to tease. That's how I like show my um, 
uh, care or love for people sometimes. And I love it when you dish it back. Like that's part of, that's a, that's a relationship that I love to have, but is it consensual? And am I making people feel comfortable? And what I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that there are lots of these issues that go on in any environment. I mean, we are a program that discusses power dynamics regularly, but I, it's even been hard for me to recognize my own power dynamics within this organization, even though we talk about it all the time. So it, it's it's that what we're trying to do is kindly um, call people in and call people in to do that reflection as opposed to calling individuals out because um, it's understandable that some of these issues are um, hard to see. I've worked in the restaurant industry. I miss it greatly. I, I love the camaraderie, the, the joking nature, the loud running around. But, and, and, and I think that a lot of people would not want that culture to change to what it is like at Sea Caven, and understandably so, just like this community in the, in the rafting industry. So we're not saying you need to be, um, you know, change who you are or entirely change the community. It's just taking time to reflect and look at what you may be doing to contribute and how can you feel safer to speak up either that you are feeling uncomfortable or that you're witnessing things that are making others feel uncomfortable. Dr. Blevins, you have something to add? Yeah, I I just think that that was so beautifully said. And that um, one interesting anecdote that came from my research is uh, a few individuals that worked at the same company that described a, a game that they had where they would pat each other on the bottom and say, good game. And they expressed that like, this was really fun. And then one day it wasn't, they just weren't feeling it. And they just didn't want to do it that day, but they didn't feel like they had a way that they could say not today. It doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel nice today. And so I think so much is, um, us as people that like to, to joke, not feeling defensive when someone says no. And, and also something that's fun one day might not be fun the next day. And that people have the right and the opportunity and the organizational culture to be heard when it's not feeling fun. And I can imagine in a culture, you know, it, it might be hard or difficult for someone to speak up either for themselves or on behalf of someone else. Um, I know I'm kind of skipping ahead here, but, you know, are there tools that are readily available on top of the mind that you can think of to help people change the culture in their own workplace? I think it really comes down to communication. Where's your line? What does consent look like? And having those tools at your fingertips so that when something occurs, you have the tools to navigate that. It's it's not easy. It takes practice. Um, I'm actually looking at integrating the training that I'm looking to deliver into the safety training because it's like when if something presents itself, it can catch you off guard. And if you don't have those tools in your toolkit, it can be really difficult to know how to respond in a manner that's constructive. It made me think of something that you told me about, um, which I didn't know before. Um, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has this chart that lists risk factors for workplace harassment. Um, and you can look at, you know, all the risk factors that they've identified. And they also have strategies um, to lessen or eliminate those risk factors. Um, and we've been talking about this in the outdoor recreation and tourism industry. 
it does meet a lot of those identified risk factors, um, like what you're saying, Dr. Blevins, homogenous workforces, workplaces where some employees do not conform to workforce norms, young workforces, um, places that tolerate alcohol consumption. You know, that that tool was really interesting. And um, I'll put it in the show notes so people can can look at that. I would say a few things to reiterate what Cora said. I think if an organization can help their employees practice um, receiving the feedback of like, hey, this doesn't feel great, but also maybe teaching a few quips that um, someone can come back to quickly. Uh, I think also communicating a a lot of the research um, that I've done outlines that it's a lot of the issue comes from customers that come and have an expectation of um, who their guide is going to be. And when it doesn't, when the person that they're assigned to doesn't make, meet that expectation, it can feel shocking. Um, and um, also much like the restaurant industry, when you're working for tips, you can feel like there's a real line of, of power there. So, you know, some perhaps jokey comments that can be said to customers, um, but you have rehearsed comebacks for when these situations come up. Um, I, I always am like, oh, I should have said that four hours later so that you have um, you have them right at the tip of your tongue. And then the last thing I would say in my research is there was a few um, people that knew exactly who they would report to, but the majority of my participants did not know who in the organization they would report a situation to. And so I think just making it incredibly transparent, who is there to be reported to, um, having maybe multiple people that you can report to so that if your management is um, older or experienced or all male, there might be other people within the organization that you could go to and feel safe. So um, I think that's another thing that organizations can do is have a very clear structure of reporting and make that structure very apparent to all employees. Cora, did you have something to add? Yes, and I'm actually going to be leading some training on those quips and those comebacks that uh, Dr. Blevins is talking about. So how to be an active witness and respond in a manner that's constructive. So there's the five Ds of bystander intervention, direct action, calling out that behavior, distracting, maybe creating an incident that creates a distraction so that you can remove that individual or that victim from that situation so that the behavior does not escalate, documenting that incident, date, time, location, witnesses present, delegating a helper, like if you're at a bar, you know, getting the help of the bartender or the bouncer that's there um, on the river, it might be the trip leader or just, you know, making uh, kind of like, hey, you know, did you hear that? Like, that wasn't okay. And just acknowledging that the inappropriate behavior and then delaying and checking in um, after the incident has occurred, go to that person that was the victim in that scenario and check in with them. Hey, you know, are you okay? I heard that comment. You know, that's, that's not appropriate. How can I support you? Listeners, we're speaking with Cora Phillips, Abigail Taylor from Sea Haven Family Crisis and Resource Center, and also Dr. Maria Blevins, a professor at Utah Valley University, about stopping sexual violence in the outdoor recreation and tourism industry. You're tuned in to KZMU This Week in Moab. You know, something that I've been um, just referencing, but we haven't gotten into yet, is this actual 
survey that is out there um, from CKVIN. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, what the survey is, who should take it, and you know what kind of questions it's asking? Absolutely. The survey that we currently have out for the outdoor recreation and tourism industry, we're trying to get information from guides and those that are working in the industry. So can include, you know, somebody who's working in the four by fours or, you know, leading tours in the park, um, National Park Service is interacting with visitors to the area. And it encompasses not only what their experience in the workplace may be from their coworkers, but also those guest interactions, because we know that the guests that are visiting can also perpetuate behavior that is unwelcome. Uh, hoping to have those results in uh, by April so that I can use that to make my training more relatable and target the issues that we're seeing here in Moab, which, you know, we have a very unique uh, culture here. So I want the training to be targeted to the culture that we have here. Well, one thing that I, I was wondering about, so it sounds like the survey is going to the data collected from the survey is going to directly inform those trainings that you're talking about and um, make it work for Moab. You know, the survey is anonymous, but if they do relate experiences specific to one workplace or organization, you know, what are you, what would you do with that information? Um, it doesn't ask to identify the specific outfitter or workplace because I did not want people to feel like um, they would be outing the outfitter that they work for, because they might still love working there, but have those experiences as well. Um, and it can prevent people from sharing their experience if um, that information is shared. So it's completely anonymous, no name, no email, uh, the outfitter is not disclosed. Um, it's merely to create a baseline so that we can have metrics to measure success. Okay, got it. I also wanted to talk to you, Dr. Blevins. Um, I'm not quite sure how to tie this into this conversation, but I came I came across your paper with the best name ever. <laughs> it's called um, "My Dude, Are You Tired? I'm Tired," um, and it came out in October 2021 um, about ethical considerations associated with conducting research in outdoor spaces. And I'm I'm wondering how the research you did there kind of informs this conversation on workplace sexual harassment? I mean, it seems like it's directed at researchers, but I'm sure there's some interesting things in there for our audience. Yeah, um, this paper I co-wrote with my coworker Leandra Hernandez and uh, Alexis Spielhagen, who is also a researcher and RAF guide. And um, she's finishing her dissertation at the University of Arizona looking at harassment and diversity in, in the outdoor industry. And I, I just, as I've been publishing papers and presenting papers at academic conferences, I come up against this feedback of, we want more information about these participants. Like, can you have other identifiers on who they are? And I explained to them that if you identify um, more than one um, identity of a participant, everyone in the river community is going to know who that is, right? So um that's sort of how I came to it is that I, I feel like I have to use exceptional care as I'm doing this research to make sure that the people that participate uh, sort of in the question you just asked to Cora and her response so that we want to make sure that people feel safe in their organizations and that they can speak up and we can shine a light on this issue without necessarily shining a light on individuals. Um, my co-authors um, come from um, Leander Hernandez is a uh, 
academic who is awesome, but also a rock climber and um, identifies uh, an intersection of identities as a rock climber that are often there. And she is, I, I hate to speak for her, but I think she came to this paper with being sort of exhausted to ask to be asked to do a lot of the DIY work that we sort of ask our people of color in these industries that we ask um, our marginalized individuals that work here. You know, we want to make it better for customers and employees, but I think sometimes the ways that we do that can be really exhausting for individuals. And so that was our motivation in the paper is a call to researchers that we need to use exceptional care and we need to ask um, how much we are asking of our participants um, as we are curious about this. I think this is a place where a lot of people in a lot of disciplines are researching a little more in depth. I think um, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, really exposed how there are um, inequities everywhere, but particularly in outdoor recreation and how folks cannot feel safe. And, um, you know, how can we change that? How can we become um, a more inclusive industry for employees, for customers, for anyone that is looking to do these things. Oh, that's so interesting because, yeah, maybe you're the only person of a certain gender or a certain sexual orientation and it can be, um, yeah, challenging. And that's so interesting about how um, taking care with research too and trying not to do more harm when you're trying to investigate what harm has occurred or is occurring. Um. Thank you. Also, since we were speaking about trainings, you know, I know that it's called the ADASH Collaborative, right? Um, Anti-Discrimination and Sexual Harassment Collective. They, they do trainings as well. Is that right? And are you part of that? Yeah. So um, that's a group of people that came together as part of these conversations that were um, instigated after the incident at uh, Grand Canyon National Park. And uh, Risa Shamoa, who is the executive director of the River Management Society, Myra Strand, the leader of Strand Squared Solutions. She's part of ADASH, as is Emily Ambrose of Engage Coaching and Consulting. And Respect Outside is Gina McClard and Jim Miller. And then River Outfitters. So there are uh, multiple outfitters, like I said in my introduction. Mm -hmm. um, this is a community that is uh, invested in making uh they want people to enjoy whitewater like they do. So there's owners, there's guides. And um, we just got together and said, how can we make this better? So we do have trainers that are part of the collective, but then we have other folks that are just here to be advocates. Um, me and Alexa are sort of the in-house researchers. And so it's a, it's a varied group of people who just want to change the culture of river running. Now, as far as like the sea change of change, <laughs> the long term of change, you know, you all are working hard on data, which is so important, and you're working on training. Um, what do you envision in the future that this um, type of work is kind of built in the culture in a way that like when you're trained as a river guide and you're trained on safety, that this is also included as part of um, your workplace environment and also for your managers and owners as well? Yeah, I think my dream is to make it as reactive as taking a throw bag, grabbing it and throwing it into the water for that person that fell out of the raft and is, you know, sucking uh, water in that hydraulic, you know, it needs to be as reactionary as that so that you don't even think twice before you are there and addressing the issue before 
that person drowns. Any Anything else about creating long-term systemic change in this community? So many thoughts about, about that. Uh, I mean, and, and it's almost even hard to like pick something to, to talk about, but um, I, I think some of the work that we're doing is, is going to help normalize some of these conversations um, and some of the other areas that we see these issues. Intersectionality is, is just such a big part of this, of, um, you know, what identities does one person have, whether that's gender, orientation, experience, um, the where they are in a hierarchy or what have you. I, they're all just such important things to discuss. Um, and I, I'm really proud of... Cora, I'm really proud of our team to be an integral part of that conversation, making its way into professional settings and make it onto the air. I mean, that alone is just huge. So um, there are a lot of issues that, like we were saying earlier, are hard to see when you're so immersed within systems and within cultures. Um, but having somebody that is kindly helping point out certain things is is the, the way that it's going to change and the way that this incremental change will happen in the first place. Um, our approach is being very understanding and, and again, calling people in as opposed to calling them out because I think we all ultimately really do think that we cause the least amount of harm as we are capable of, but that's just not the case. And, and I think everybody has room to improve and I I'm such a harsh critic of myself. I have so many ways to improve, to be a better leader, a better mother, a better partner, a better friend. Um, so I, I think that that approach is probably one of the most important aspects of this work. And I, I really think that we're doing it well. I think that we're doing it right. Um, and I hope to see that, that um, willingness to say, where can I improve? What do I need to do? from um, these communities. You know, the language that you have used several times about calling people in, it's so refreshing to me to hear that instead of saying, hey, you did a bad thing, you're a bad person, you shouldn't, you know, be part of this community. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, we're all learning, myself included. Uh, I've only been at Sea Haven for about six months, and there's so much that I did not know that I'm learning every single day here and from my colleagues. And, you know, I, I'm not an expert, but I'm learning right alongside with everyone else and how to be better. And even what that dream looks like, I, it's hard to imagine a cultural norm where that harassment doesn't exist. Microaggressions mm -hmm. don't happen on the daily. Mm -hmm. And I think we're still discovering what that dream looks like. Um, and I'm excited about it. Speaking of microaggressions, that's also on my list of um, questions to ask. Um, this is something that some of our listeners are probably very familiar with, um, but some may not be. Um, would anyone want to try to uh, define them and give us some examples of how they could show up, maybe in the outdoor rec industry as, as we're um, speaking about that specifically? The one video that I really enjoy, you can find it on YouTube, it's uh, microaggressions are like mosquito bites. And it really resonated with me because when I'm in the outdoors, I'm always the one that is getting bit by mosquitoes. Um, but it can really 
affect people differently. Um, you know, someone might get more mosquito bites than the other person. You know, it's as simple as, you know, somebody comes into work and they hi say hi to somebody and acknowledge their presence and not the other person. It's one of those things that if you're not paying attention, you might not even notice. But when that happens every single day, it just wears on you and it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Thanks, Cora. Any, anyone else want to add to the microaggression, Dr. Blevins? Yeah, I think um, sometimes in the outdoor industry, it's really interesting because there's such varying scalability, right? And so, um, and it's going whitewater rafting is a scary thing to do. And um, if, if you show up uh, as a customer to do that or as a new guide training to do that, um, I, I think a big thing is thinking through how welcoming are we being and are we um, making sure that we say things that indicate that everybody is welcome out there, right? So um, something like, oh, we don't see a lot of people like you here or um, you're doing pretty good for a fill in the blank, right? Um, those are microaggressions. And just because we're not used to seeing folks in the outdoor that might be fat or might be of a different race or might be um, fill, fill in the blank on whatever identity you want. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to say, welcome. We're so happy you're here. And I started at 1.2 and there is a place for all of us to be having fun out here. And, and I think um, at least my experience in the outdoor industry, again, so many amazing humans that I've worked with, but it can be a small thing such as, oh, you're wearing jeans to do that, huh? Right? Like some people just when they're starting out, might not know the right outfits to wear, but folks can be kind of quick to, to criticize that. And so, I mean, I don't know that those are total microaggressions, but also knowing that people are new and people are in an environment where they are really nervous. And um, this is really unique. And if you look around and don't see anyone that looks like you or shares commonalities with you, that can, that can feel you're already sort of on notice. So then when small things are said or when those differences are brought to an attention, I think it can make you feel a lot of things. Yeah. Best case scenario, you know, uncomfortable. Worst case, you know, it actually does make you unsafe, puts you in an unsafe environment. That's right. And, you know, a lot of my data kind of in indicates an attitude of, well, if you can't handle it, this is just how it is. And I think a lot of people want it to change, but it really bums me out to think that people might not be able to enjoy rivers. I mean, it's brought me so much joy in my life um, just because they don't make the cut of how you're supposed to act or how you're supposed to look in, in those environments. So um, yeah, again, expanding our ideas of who gets to be there and mm -hmm. what vocabularies and words we're choosing to welcome everybody into that. It's interesting how much, you know, gatekeeping there is at every single level <laughs> in our society, but in our outdoor recreation community and um, people like you all are, are calling it out and trying to make changes. Back to the training and, and survey, Cora, you know, if organizations who are listening to this want to, you know, get involved, do a training, how do they do that? Uh, absolutely. They can email me at Cora, C-O-R-A, at ckaven.org and reach out. Let me know the date uh, that you're thinking. And I would love to get something scheduled. Uh, the sooner you can let me know, the better. And I can uh, block off that date for you in my calendar. And I'm guessing this is not going to be, you know, just a uh, 
one-time project. This it, is this going to be built into CK Vince long-term plan? Uh, that's my hope. And furthermore, that outfitters will take this education and work harder on this topic and want more information. You know, I'm only offering a small piece of what is needed to combat the issue. It's super multifaceted. My training is not the checkbox and everything will change in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely a very small tip of the piece of the iceberg. Oh, go ahead, Dr. Blevins. I'd love to just say, I'd love to give Cora and CK then a huge shout out. Uh, They saw this group in their community that could use some support and are like doing these really innovative things. And it's just... um, I feel so inspired by the fact that they even sort of thought of this community. It's really cool. Yeah. When I saw, you know, some of the posts about um, the workplace sexual harassment survey in the outdoor rec and tourism industry, just seeing like the flyer, I'm like, oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you for even naming it. I think we were talking a little bit earlier about just even naming that it this occurs um, is really powerful and that there's, you know, questions that do relate to people's direct experiences and that there's some organization, some people who care about making a difference is um, a really big deal. And, and I'll just add that the guiding community is so unique because many of them are transient, right? They might work at ski resorts in the winter and then come in and, and maybe don't feel those community ties maybe mm-hmm. don't have any connections to the community outside of the, the guiding industry. And it's, it just, I think, means so much that there is this place to go and this place to turn. That's a good point, too. You know, um, separately, but somewhat related, our other reporter here at KZMU is working on a piece about the river guiding industry and um, minimum wage increases and all the fight fighting that's going around right now about outfitters. Um, themselves being against the wage increase. And all of the guides that our reporter talked to were so afraid to speak out on this issue. And one of the things that was coming up with that is that, you know, they feel like no one really cares about it because maybe they'll be guiding for a couple seasons or they'll do it for like a, a few years and then they'll do another job. So they just have to deal with it. That came up on my mind, like perhaps that also, um, you know, is related to workplace sexual harassment because it's like, oh, well, I'm only doing this for a few years. I'm just going to take these microaggressions or this is just the culture. Like there's nothing I could do about it. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if that's if I'm making a, a, a valid connection here. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things that has been brushed under the rug or dismissed for so long. And, you know, microaggressions, escalate to harassment and violence. It's such a spectrum of disrespect. And if we can start early and addressing a lot of those multifaceted issues, whether, you know, microaggressions, wages, um, housing, um, we can really make a difference. It's about creating safer communities, safer workplaces. I think that's what I'm seeing it comes down to. Thank you all so much, Um, listeners. We've been speaking to Cora Phillips, Prevention Coordinator at CKVN Family Crisis and Resource Center, Abigail Taylor, the Executive Director of CKVN, and Dr. Maria Blevins, Professor at Utah Valley University, who's done a lot of research on on these topics. Um, Anything else that you want to um, follow up on or impart to our listeners on this topic um, before we say goodbye? 
Uh, if you have any questions or want to reach out about what we discussed here, please don't hesitate. I'd love to speak with you and see how we might create a program that works for you. Abby, did you want to say anything else? Yeah, I was just reflecting on something you said earlier, Molly, of, you know, just naming it, naming this issue and bringing light to it even happening in the first place. I think that allows for um, people to do that, that internal work to look in the mirror look at their organization, look at the relationships they have with, with those around them, but it also allows and encourages people to reach out for support if they are one of those individuals that are feeling unsafe and are feeling um, a lot of fear about their, their workplace and the people that they are around. So Haven is here to provide those supportive services to those individuals as well if they are experiencing harassment or violence in the workplace. Um, our services include just advocacy, working with individuals on achieving their goals, sometimes financial assistance. Um, and our hotline number is uh, 24-7. You can call us at any time uh, to, to just chat with somebody or to get um, in with an advocate. And that phone number is 435-259-2229. Thank you so much for mentioning that phone number, Abby. And Dr. Blevins, any any last words before we go? Um, I think I would just say that in my research, the, the RAF companies that have made an effort already to make safer workplaces um, would just say that it's not just the women and the marginalized employees. It's everyone that benefits when you um, have really good conversations about consent. Everyone gets to feel more comfortable and express their true selves. So I would just say that we're all going to benefit from from this work with workplaces where we feel safer. I think that's an excellent point. No one loses when we make workplace places safer, right? Everyone gains, everyone wins um, when we do this work. Thank you all so much. Thank, thank you, Molly. Thank Goodbye. you.